everybody. Welcome to another episode of Driven Minds. This is your host, Franz Bowen. This is your co-host, Travis Weeks. We have a really interesting guest in the building today. Uh, the talented marketing strategist extraordinaire, uh, Gary Nix. Welcome. Uh, thank you. I uh, really appreciate that intro right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we tried to roll out the carpet. Right, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Come highly recommended, man. When I did my research on this guy, man, I was... I was truly inspired. So Absolutely. Definitely want to start off with you, you know, telling people exactly what more about what you do, you know, and, you know, where, where you are right now. All right, cool, yeah. Um, so what I do now, basically, is just I'm on the brand strategy side of things. You know, I'm looking for all the ways that brands can better connect with their consumers and create that relationship because that's really what it's all about, you know, right. for, for business. Right. Um, you know, we're in, an interesting, we're in an interesting space right now where companies are slowly beginning to realize where the power really lies and it's all in the consumer mm, mm. you know imagine so, that you know yeah exactly <laughs> you know the, it's funny because it wasn't realized before even though it's like okay how do we get these people to buy our products you know well if the person who has the money is not you in this country we live in that person who has the money has the power Tuh. true you know mm-hmm. so now the way things are where the people actually have a voice where companies are forced, they cannot ignore that voice anymore. Absolutely. People can mobilize mm-hmm. and come together, and they are all bigger than these corporations. Absolutely. And these businesses have to sit there and listen and actually create these relationships with these consumers to convert them into customers in order for their businesses to be sustainable. Hell yeah. I've seen it. I've seen a difference in that world. It's like, you know, companies and brands, instead of just marketing to you, now they're taking an extra step to create relationships with the consumer like to try to figure out more i guess that's why all these data companies got you know bought up by the more major corporations because they want to know who their consumer is what they like like they're really trying to learn about you so they can like i guess um uh, market to you even better yeah because i mean they really have to before because i also come from traditional right you know so before the avenues of communication would be such where these larger companies have the ability to speak to large amounts of people at once, but large amounts of people did not have the ability to speak back to the companies. Mm. You know, so they would do these things that they pretty much had to do. You know, they would still do their research. Right. Um, they would figure out who their target was, try to speak to them, which makes complete sense. They would bring in focus groups, you know, groups of like 20, 30 people maybe. Right, right. And try to get some more intel on what they needed to do, what was working well, what wasn't working well. Yeah. And they would use this information to go ahead and try to create a better marketing, advertising, and promotion strategy. Right. Now with the internet, people can tell you exactly what they think, whether you like it or not. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Especially the Twitter, man. If somebody's unhappy with your service or product, they're letting you know. And you're man, giving out I had some to do comp- that today. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do that today. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, uh, this gruntled holiday uh, uh, consumer? Um, no, it was just a little... Um, a little bit of an issue with someone I know and a certain delivery company mm. that I'm not going to mention the name of right now. Okay. But, right. um, you know, <laughs> one of their delivery representatives seemed to have some issues today. Mm. So, you know, it was like, you know, as a, as a branding professional, I th- thought you'd like to know that this is what's happening with some of your representatives from your brand. That's mm. crazy. And I'm pretty sure that you don't want that to keep happening. Right. You know, so let's figure out how to fix this little issue of someone... Like being extra rude, yeah, 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 and acting entitled, right? And you can speak about that instead of like you know 
we'll put in the comment and suggest in the company suggestion box that they probably look at it and be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can actually go on Twitter now or go on Facebook and actually directly talk to the brand. You know what I mean? If you have a problem, and that can be retweeted a thousand times, so they got to be careful, you know, especially with somebody coming from your, something coming from yourself. Yeah. They got to be careful with shit like I've, that. I've, I've had my fair share of moments with companies. You know, and brands are definitely more willing to make amends now. They have yeah. to. Right. So let's backtrack a little bit. because Let's right. get into uh, a little bit of the beginning. Yeah. Of, you said that you come from tr- uh, traditional, yes. uh, I guess, uh, media marketing uh, in, in that regard. Uh, can you tell us what are some of those uh, forms of traditional uh, marketing and how those have been, I guess, skewed to the market today? Sure. Well, my traditional... Um, moments actually come from the music industry, which is not always the most traditional industry in the world either. (laughs) But when I talk about that kind of traditional marketing, Mm -hmm. it has a lot to do with the fact that we couldn't do the things that we can do now. You know, so it was more more of the traditional capability. Yeah, you know, just just the limitations that we had back then. Right. Um, So I started in music, but I was DJing in college. I was working on the radio at the radio station on college. Okay. uh, Nice college. There was a video show that I was like the music uh, producer on. You were like a VJ. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you know, I, you know, just this kind of growing up in New York and just having this love for music, you know, right, right, hip hop right. especially. But then there's the Caribbean side, so there's the reggae and dance hall, and then there's the there's the uh, Hispanic side, which is you know the salsa and and everything else. Yeah. What part of New York you from? Born in Harlem, raised in the Bronx. Ah, that's horrible time. news. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn, man. I had to, I had to Why you wait, 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 Did we just get off on the wrong foot? <laughs> wait, wait, see, this, this is weird. Usually, I only have this this, this uh, kind of um, like little debate with people who were born in Queens. Oh yeah, yeah you know I, Brooklyn and Bronx used. You know, hey, we, man, I got we, love we for. Uh, you no, know, just we, 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 we were usually good, man. What's happening? <laughs> I don't know. You know what? I was that was in Fordham reflex. the other day. It didn't go right. It didn't go my way. So. <laughs> well, well, yeah. For, Fordham, Fordham can be a problem. Yeah, Fordham can definitely be a problem. It's a little <laughs> lit up there. Oh man, it, 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 can, it can it can be kind of crazy over there. <laughs> it was cool. So, where did you go to school as well? So I went to Syracuse University, and you okay. studied. I went in thinking I was going to be a computer engineer, mm. and left. Wow. With marketing. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. How did that shift happen? Um, just an interesting experience that uh, happened in some classes. You know, freshman year, it seemed. I don't know if the the professor was trying to like pull like a Jedi mind trick on us or something like that. But he, like he wrote something on, on the board. It was like, nah, that's wrong. We're like, okay, you know, people make mistakes, whatever, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Wrote something else. Stepped back. It was like, nah, that don't look right either. We're like, what's happening here? And one of my friends that I went to high school with was in this class with me too. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting next to each other. We're both like. Mm. So take erase that, write something else. Like, do any of y'all know what this is supposed to be? No. Me and my boy from high school looked at each other. We're like, yep. <laughs> That's we it. don't need to change this. <laughs> we out. Yeah, it was, it was just like, okay. Right, okay. right. And then that coupled being with you know being an eighteen year old away from home, and just kind of acting up and not going to class and yeah. stuff like that. I mean. It's not the proudest moment, but it, you know it. It happened, and you know what? I'm not the first person it happened to. Nah, I mean, and you're a success after. I don't think we could like you know yeah. gauge your. 
Yeah, you it's know, says so by your college it's, career. It's, it's definitely Ooh. something. Yeah, it's definitely something that we laugh about. Actually, we laughed about it then too. But it's something <laughs> that me and my boys from college still laugh about to this day because we were just so ridiculous. Right, mm-hmm. right. There was one point, second semester freshman year, where we all had eight thirty classes that we had to take. Mm-hmm. So we were infamous as just staying up and just talking junk and just having fun and cracking jokes and stuff like that. You know, things that... 18-year-olds do. Yeah, 18-year-olds, especially 18-year-olds from New York yeah. who are in like, a, in like a weird place. You know, we're not, we're not that far from home, but we're still not at your home. Right. Yeah, so right. it was like six of us, all from New York City, all from different parts it's of New really York City. It's really good. It's a lot of Trump donors so, in Syracuse. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so... And then also, the way... Hey, man. The way it was set up, there were... It's a large campus, a bunch of dorms, but there's if you want to find the black people, there was going to be three dorms that you can find them in. Mm. Okay, one of them was an all women's dorm, so there's a lot of black women in there. Uh, Two of them were what we used to call West Campus because there was like the main campus, all the main dorms, and then there's these two dorms where the black people are like over here and over here. Mm-hmm. So we were all in one of those dorms, yeah, and we just you know chilled, chilled, and just cracked jokes forever. So one time it was like four o'clock in the morning. Well, there were many times when that happened. But it was one time when it was like 4 o'clock in the morning, we just started laughing like, damn, we got 8.30 classes, man. So <laughs> we still just talk some more junk. We're like, okay, we're going to talk some more junk. We're going to go ahead, go back to our rooms, get showered, get ready, actually have some breakfast, and then go to class. Mm. So we talked some more. We all got ready. We all went back to our rooms, showered, got dressed, went to breakfast, joked some more, finished breakfast, Left and there was like a little bit of like a courtyard between the dorm and the and the um, the cafeteria. Yeah, we all got to that courtyard. We looked at each other. It's like nah. We laughed and went back to our rooms. Went back to sleep. <laughs> like this is not. We were, we were out of control. <laughs> right, right. That's crazy. You know, I hope your parents are happy about that story. <laughs> oh, they weren't happy you know when we Sally May. That <laughs> summer, we all we all caught it that summer. Word. All of us, we caught it that summer. That's crazy. Word. They're like, yo, we sending you to Syracuse. We don't got time to be playing games. Yeah. yeah. That, that tuition was not. I hear you. That's crazy. Then you um you, you graduated from there, and then you entered full force into the music industry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So because I used to DJ, and there was a uh, small record store that used to be in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. It's not there anymore because there are no more records anymore. Right. But mm-hmm. um, I used to shop it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was such a fixture there that people thought I worked there. Oh, uh, so we got to the point where um, my senior year, the owner of the store, he just asked me if I had anything out of college. I was like, nah, nah, yeah, he's like, you do now. Nice, nice. You know, so that's why I started, started working in the record store. I was also directing the record pool that was upstairs as well. Oh, wow. Because I was DJing. So that's how I got somewhat easily into promotion in the music industry. Because that's part of the job, being the director and being a member of a record pool. Got you, got you. What is that? So basically, a record pool was when the record labels would send the promo copies out. Okay. And they would send it out to like a bunch of different DJs to, you know, like test and see how people were reacting to stuff. This is back in the 90s when people were still, some people were still trying to break music. Mm-hmm. Um, not many, right. but there were still people who were, who were trying to actually break music. So not just be like, okay, let me get the hottest thing or whatever that everyone knows. Let's try to break some things and make things happen. Get some ground, yeah. Right, right. right. So that's like that's like an actual promotion exercise. You know, mid nineties is easy to just say, okay, I got this new Wu Tang, and fine, let's go ahead and put and play it because it's gonna be Wu Tang. Yeah, it's gonna pop. Easy. Yeah, right. Um, it's different when it's like Veronica. <laughs> you don't. You know, because you don't know who, people yeah. don't know who that is. Like yeah, I, yeah. I see faces like, 
Who's right? Yeah, I was just. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, mean, I must have missed that one. You know, and I mean, but that's that's really the point, you know, because yeah, you're yeah. not gonna have a hit every single time. Mm-hmm. So they're doing these promo copies to see what they're going to do in terms of how they're going to need to market advertising to sell, or if they need to go back to the drawing board. Right, okay. right. And one of the things that the people from the record labels actually um, appreciated from me is that I didn't pull punches. Like there were a lot of other people who would be like, "Oh, this thing is great." to try to build up that relationship with them so they would get the Wu-Tang, they would get whatever was hot right away. Right. Because they you know, just kind of just trying to be nice and say, okay, well, well, you like me, so you're going to send me this thing. I know better because you're not going to like me if I tell you this thing is hot and then you put hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars into it and you get nothing back. It's garbage. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm going to tell you either this is trash, I don't like it, but this is how it can work, I do like it, but this is how it's not going to work, mm. or this thing is hot, or anything in that in that um, whole range, to the point where there would be some meetings with record uh, labels when they would have like all the directors and all the people from the record pools in there, and they would single me out. It's like, okay, we have this thing, Gary. What do you think? Like, <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but it's because I'm telling you what I'm thinking. I'll tell you why. Right. You know, I'll tell you why my opinion. I'm not going to say I'm a hundred percent right but I was right enough mm-hmm. that they appreciated it right 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 you know um, being a DJ taught me how to kind of separate what I actually liked from what would actually work mm. you know and that's a really um, it's a really great <coughs> talent to have because absolutely when you're trying to market advertise or promote you need to understand what's going to work absolutely it's not, it's not only about you yeah, I, I so never true. understood. To your point, like I never understood. You go to a party. I always noticed that the 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 best times I've had at like a club or a party is where the DJ is actually paying more attention to the dance floor than their serato. Yeah, because you can tell sometimes like a DJ is just up there like, yo, this is the playlist that they've been working on in their mind all week. They've been killing it in the crib, and they're like, all right, this is what I'm gonna play, and everybody's kind of just standing there like, yeah, right, you know, this is. I mean, great conversation music but it's not necessarily yeah. you know yeah I mean it's also just like a common mistake mm. you know because sometimes when you're a DJ there there's a certain amount of love you have to have for the game to actually be a DJ so you know you're working on this thing and in your head you're thinking this thing is great and to some people it can be mm. the problem is you're playing for more than just a few people usually and you have to be paying attention like you have to be there and say, okay, what do these people want to hear? And that's not to say that you have to take every single request to all the DJs who might be listening to this right now <laughs> who know that this that is one of the things that is extremely annoying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or can be. Not always, but sometimes just annoying. You have to play for the crowd. Okay? But because you have to play for the crowd, that's also part of the reason why you don't have to play for that one person asking for this one song. Right. Because they are not the crowd, they are one person. Right. You know, so there is a balance between what you know you want to play and and the the, the order and the length and how you're going to do it and how the crowd is going to react to it. Right. You want to get that point. You want to get a few times in the night where you get that, oh, from the crowd. Because let me tell you, that adrenaline, when you get that, 
there are very few better feelings than that. Right, mm-hmm. right. That's when you in your element. That's when you just you just you just feeding off the reaction of the crowd. Yeah, man. Right. And you feel that. Like you you it literally enters your body and you like mm-hmm. oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you were a DJ, what kind of music did you did you like to play? Were you playing it all from hip hop to, you know, West Indian music or Yeah, man. Yeah. It was it was And this was you was doing a DJ in uptown. Um, actually in Manhattan most of the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to do speed when it was around. Oh man. Yeah, so yeah, it was it was lit. It was yeah, I did yeah. like I did the Roxy a couple of times. There was mm. um this this my probably my favorite party of all time and I think it still happens. It's only like it's a seasonal one though, because mm. it was on um it was at South Seaport. Okay. Um this restaurant called Sequoia. Um, okay, this guy who I actually went to school with, I didn't know that he was doing the party, like he headed the party until right. I got there. But it was an after work party like late spring throughout summer. Right. And it was just a complete mix of music, so there'd be a few different DJs. But people came out there to dance. That was the best thing about it. Right. People were like, Okay, it's Friday. I need to blow up some steam. I came to have some fun. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so you know, let me yeah. overpay for this Hennessy runtime <laughs> and uh, <laughs> turn up with the turn squad. up with the squad. <laughs> Absolutely, you know. And it would be like shifts because you know there was there was like salsa and There was a lot of house. There was hip hop and reggae. There was a little bit of everything for everybody. And that dance floor stayed full. There would be kind of shifts sometimes, you know. But mm-hmm. everyone had fun. Like even if the music that you didn't personally want to hear was on. You were still good to kind of chill and still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, you might not have been on the dance floor, but you were still having fun. Right. right. So that was just one of the. That's that still is my favorite, my favorite party that I DJ at. Right. So you, you you VJ'd, you DJ'd, you also um, were throwing events too. So uh, were you DJing your own events? So by the time I started really throwing. Um, the events with my my old business partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and what kind of events were these? Were like parties? It was a lot of parties, but there was still like kind of like the the brand like small activations or some things where okay. we would either um, integrate the brand into the party. So it was like, okay, we have this we have this audience. Right. You want to sell to this audience? Let's make something happen. Gotcha. Or we do like um, we would do some like release parties like we did um, when. Which album was it? Common B album came out. Mm-hmm. We did something um, on Fifty Seventh Street with Common. He like did a little performance. We did that with a record label. Oh, that's dope. Um, you know, we did like a couple of things. We did something at um, a couple of events at the Sean John store. Right, right. I was around. Like, mm-hmm. so it was a bunch of different things, but it was a lot of party related stuff because you know people like to have fun. Absolutely. One thing about music, working in music, that teaches you so much about people. It teaches you so much about culture. It teaches you so much about marketing yeah. because. People connect with music. That's one of those art forms that people connect to most closely. Mm. That's the one that really hits them. That's the one where you can find out a lot of a lot about a person from the mm. kind of music they like, from like the lyrics of songs that they like. And I think that's an absolutely great thing. Right. You know. I see. Oh, my fault. Go ahead, go yeah, I, I was just listening to just that time frame of your life. Like I'm getting right. so many. Uh, gems like or mm. things that you might have understood like you know being a dj and, and uh, an event specialist you learned how to do r&d um in terms of kind of gauging your audience 
finding out what it is they like, what their habits are. Mm-hmm. So like maybe after your, your first three or four parties, you're like, all right, this is this is the three song combo that I know I can hit them with, and then hit them with this. You know what I'm saying? Now you know what their buying habits are. You know, all right, this is how much we're making at the bar. You're getting uh, so now you can like I guess project your earnings for mm-hmm. you know I guess the month or what have you. So you're learning all of these really interesting transferable skills. Um, skill set rather that you you're you're um, were you aware uh, at the oh, time absolutely. that you're developing absolutely yeah. because even like when we were going to different venues one of the things especially as black people doing mm-hmm. parties mm-hmm. like sometimes I think that we didn't get the events because we came to business and I don't want to say that we should have like, kind of scared them down, off but I think we did scare them off because yeah. like oh we can't take advantage of these dudes you know because what would happen is if we didn't get the venue, we'd see some other people that we know get the venue. And then they're not making money. They're just bringing people. The club is kicking off. And the club's like, oh, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're yeah. good. Because the nightclub industry is one of those crazy ones too. You know, We would come in with proposals, written proposals. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, like, how, how did you prepare? Like, we you were know, like, okay, look, this is who we are. This is what, this is, these are the demographics <coughs> of our audience. This is the kind of money we make at, make at bars. These are the kind of specials that we see at work. These are the kind of deals that we look to have. We need to do this because we're bringing these people to you. Like you're not going to try to tell us, oh well, we don't. We mm. want to know what you have. What are your What are your costs? Because we both want to make money. Exactly. You're not going to hit us over the head with, oh, we have to do this and we have to pay for this. We already know how those things should be. Right. And here are our references from the other parties that we've done. Nice. nice. And we get the. Uh, I'll call you back. Sometimes we would, and sometimes we would get it like this. They would be like, "Oh, okay, yeah. you guys aren't playing." Because you come Let's to the sit table. down and talk, right? Yeah. And I see the I see the value in that because a lot of collectives coming up now that's throwing parties, that's you know have their party series, and um, they don't even know what could really happen down the line if they keep on doing this and creating that community culture where they can like then work with different brands and even different community. We had Harlem running here recently. They have a, a running community and they've linked with Under Armour to create mm-hmm. brands. So. I've seen that power being distributed now, like you said, to the people where, you know, if you have an idea for a community, you have an idea for an event series, you can now have that power and, and, and be able to have these brands, corporations attract to you. Yep. And and as I was saying earlier, before we got on the cast, mm-hmm. all the power or so much of the power in all this is in the distribution. Mm. And what happened in the music That's industry so is the perfect example. Like, all you have to do to understand how business works mm-hmm. is look at how the music industry or the larger thought of the music industry broke all the way down. Mm-hmm. It broke down from distribution. That was it. File sharing killed distribution. Because the labels didn't own the distribution channels. Yeah, see, that's what they, they fucked up because they should have partnered with Napster and like the line wires back in the day. If Let me tell you had, something. Because we have many disc players. Yes. Had they had partnered with a Napster or whatever, they would have at least, mm-hmm. you you might not have um, stopped it altogether, but at the same time, you would have trained your customer. Share profit. And, and, yeah. and, and here's the thing. You're never going to stop it altogether. So I understand why they had to go and like get Napster shut down because at the same time, the artists weren't getting their money either. True, so true. That, that was certainly an issue. You know, you put money into all the stuff, you need to get money back. Absolutely. But you need to figure out or look at how things are working and say, okay, so maybe these people are doing it wrong 
or they doing it legally and if you want to be like okay we can't work with you because you just came and basically stole our stuff that's fine figure out what they're doing and integrate it into what you need to do mm. you know this even was an issue with mixtapes okay yeah good talk okay. about that because mixtapes the djs would like clue and envy they were huge mm-hmm. yes. back in the day yes but they were caking off they were making maybe a, like a good couple hundred thousand mm-hmm. in a year mm-hmm. but that wasn't in making it back to the atlantics to the but Dutch here's channel. the thing yeah. though so outside of any talk that was out there of them like like you know just kind of stealing dots out of the studio or whatever you know like those rumors and things like that here's the thing that especially the riaa wouldn't even want to admit or realize or anything like that record labels were sending the stuff to the mixtape djs because especially in hip-hop and r&b those guys they understood oh we need to get the streets the streets are buying mixtapes mm-hmm. this is how we're going to promote our songs mm-hmm we get these songs and these mixtapes. When we put them out, people are going to want to buy the song. Right. So simple. So let's go ahead and send these records to these DJs. They were the gatekeepers of that song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was it was going out to the mixtape DJs, like the big ones especially. There was going out to record pools. It's all of this was promotion. They're like, okay, we need to do this in a way that makes sense. Right. We need to. We cannot sell these things without marketing, advertising, or promoting them. Mm. So here's a way where we can promote them through these guys who are selling all these tapes in the streets. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. They can make their money off of this promo stuff. We will make money on the back end because we will be able to sell and distribute larger quantities, so we can make the bigger money. Because mixtape DJs also, they don't have the same distribution channels we have. Right. So they can't make the same quantity. Most of the time, they're not going to play the whole song. These people want this song. Okay? The, on the mixtape, it's not going to be the entire song. It's, right. going to be, it's either going to be cut, it's either going to be mixed in, or, what, or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. And that's great for the mixtape. But if you have this song that you want, you want the song. Mm-hmm. So we're going to promote it, and then you can buy the song when it comes out. Right. I hope you guys have just uh, picked up <laughs> what Gary just said, mm-hmm. applicable to 2016, because that's deep. Uh, like yeah. just just the fact that you know every just because you might be in the same I guess sphere, there tears to the market. So yeah. you know the the record company should not be worried about the mixtape level. Like all right, yeah, that's how you introduce your product, but here's this back end that this tear isn't even thinking about seeing you know that they own the control that has the bulk of yeah. the profits yeah and that's and that's part of the thing like the higher ups at the record companies and i'm going to link this to twitter in a minute the higher ups at the record companies they didn't get it necessarily but the people who were actually doing the work they understood it mm. and they knew that they had to go out and do their job to push the song so that when it was time to come out and be sold people were ready to buy it right mm. you know and there's you know there's like some timing that's involved in that and you know making sure that people have the right information uh, working at a record store there'd be sometimes there'll be plenty of times where people are like I don't know the same name of the song but here are some of the lyrics so you have to figure that out mm. <laughs> sometimes yeah. you know yeah, or just like it was genius. yeah it was it, nah, we didn't have that back then you know it was it was playing name that tune like 50 times a day sometimes hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. but the people who worked on the ground the people actually doing the work they understood it mm. now if you want to take it to 2016 you want to look at Twitter right yeah. Twitter which is actually my favorite um, social media platform and why I'm critical of it is because it's my favorite. Right. 
there are plenty of people at Twitter who understand what the space is, how it works, what needs to happen. The higher-ups are either not listening or they won't listen. I don't know which one it is, yeah. but I know that's why they're not growing. I feel that's like Twitter is dying a bit. It, I'm not going to, and this is probably partially because it's my favorite, it's not necessarily dying. It's The problem is it's not doing the things it's supposed to do. Mm. There are certain like, things. What would like, you say? I'm, so I'm so I'm not a programmer, so I don't know all of the ins and outs. Mm, okay. All right, but one problem they have, they can't figure out um, how to stop spam bots from from spamming a, a popular hashtag. Mm. I've been to Twitter events, events done by Twitter, when spam bots hit that hashtag. I'm like, why well, can crazy. you guys not change? They're not hiring the right okay. people over there or something. Cause that's you know, crazy. They're, a lot of the programmers don't use the product so they don't understand it. Ah, uh, okay. Um, another problem or another thing, another miss, bookmark. Hmm. A simple bookmark button. So you can save. Like bookmark so tweets and bookmark. Facebook beat into it. Right. Instagram beat into, beat into it. Don't tell me you can't do it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. The, the issue with harassment that they've just recently started to address to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. You know, the history of all the harassment that's been going on for years, especially against black women. It's crazy. I think who went through that? The comedian. Leslie um, Jones. Leslie Jones, Jones went through that. Okay, so that's, and, and yes, she did go through it, and that was a damn shame. But she, that came to light because she has a certain amount of celebrity. She has a platform. Okay, right, so right. I'm not saying that it, they shouldn't have said anything. That's not what I'm saying. Mm. But you know how many black women Daily, it's get crazy. harassed on there. Mm. How many people of color daily get right. harassed? On and there? it seems like for what I'm saying, it was like they pick and choose which ones they want to like block or which ones that which which ones like they want to like vote. Outrage, right? Yeah, you know, and it's right. like, yo, you went through a, a whole thing where Salesforce was interested in buying you, Walt Disney was interested in buying you just recently, right? Mm. All these big companies were were interested in buying and helping grow Twitter somehow. And they saw all the problems with harassment and said, nope. Wow, they backed out. Wow. They all backed out. Like, Salesforce what was can interested we in Twitter? Yes. That's interesting. I mean, Salesforce, I could see it as like Twitter being like a back end for the um, consumer. Because I always felt that Salesforce should have a back end because my, my uh, education is primarily in sales. Mm -hmm. So... I feel like the sales process is flawed just because, like, you know, prospecting and all that stuff. Like, that's something you're always going to have to do. Right. But if if I'm a vendor, like say I, I work at Canon or what have you, and you're looking for a new machine, there's no reason why I have to talk to 30 blocks of people around you and never get to you, yep. whereas you should just have like a, um, a console on Salesforce as a, as, a, as a consumer user, and you should be able to click like a green button to open a green light, yeah, so now we're out for bid come, you know, talk to me as opposed to I'm knocking on a million doors. Yeah. So yeah. I, I see how Twitter would be a, a, a good thing in that regard. That yeah. made a lot of sense. Yeah, but I mean, even just, even besides that, the amount of information, the amount of conversation, the amount of connection, the amount of action that hacks, that takes place on Twitter because Incredible. of its real-time nature, mm -hmm. any company would should be interested in tapping into that however right because they have incredible influence right, right. okay right you want to talk about culture how people of color especially black people especially black women 
have pushed culture for centuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should, they should be it protecting is only, them. Yes, it is only amplified through Twitter because now it's quicker. Mm-hmm. True. Black, Black Twitter, Twitter is, is <laughs> real. Game. Black Twitter will promote your show or take you down. Black Twitter, Black Twitter got power out here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Charlemagne, when he was going through the drama with the um, with the women for a comment he made with the Tammy Lauren thing or whatnot. And um, he was like, yo, what did he say? He's like, yo, um, just showing, he's like, this shows you the power of black women. I never, he's like, I never trended for like over a week straight. When I beat, when I did a comment a day and like, I trended for like a week, just showing you the power of black culture and black women, you know what I mean, on the mm-hmm. Twitter platform. So yeah, that mean, gives you an example. Now, now, he shouldn't have said what he said. Right. So like, that's, that's, that's not the way you want to trend. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay? sure. And those are not the things you want to say. Like, if you don't know, then you just, you need to either go and find out. It's like, show me someone with a platform. There are so many platforms out there. First of all, if you are on Twitter, you have a platform. I don't care how many exactly. There's so many podcast yeah. women. Are, I mean, yeah. that's definitely ill-advised what he said, but he had a point. Like it just showed you the power of. No, you exactly. Know. He, he, I think he done learn today. Though. That's what happened. I, mm-hmm. I feel differently. I feel like you know, just just because we have such a liberal space, mm-hmm. um, that there is no. I mean, there are lines that are stepped on every day, Absolutely. right? Yeah. But I feel like it's easily forgivable like you're always one good product or one good action away from having people love you again like you can be the worst person if donald trump came out tomorrow and was like everybody getting reparations donald trump would be on t-shirts so so there definitely is a point with the fact that you can fix it especially with these lines of communication you have yeah. but the 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 issue with fixing it is an issue of trust so mm. when you do something like Charlemagne did, not that people really trusted him that much already, mm. but you're breaking you you just destroyed another link in the trust and the credibility. And your community. So now so now it's harder to come back from that. Right, okay. right. You can come back from it. It's just that it's going to take longer. The the less trust you have, the longer it's going to take to fix it. Now it can still be fixed and Twitter can can help facilitate that. Mm-hmm. You know. But there's also a certain lack of credibility and trust with Twitter, especially since they're not growing at the point that they feel they should be, they should. or mm-hmm. the the point that most of its users think it should be as well. So um, you have a lot of experience working at um, advertising agencies, um, and certainly you've you've seen, I guess, the transition from analog to digital in in all respects. Um, what are some experiences that you've had, you know, being being an individual who, I guess, is on the cusp of, you know, all of this, um, like, all of this technolo- technological advance and dealing with, I guess, like, the old guard of, nah, this is how we do it and this is how it's going to be done for the rest of time immemorial. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's, what's that experience like? That's, that's definitely something I deal with every day at work. Um, one of my best experiences actually was literally to go in and teach the client basically how things need to be done, how things are changing. You know, so there was one agency that I worked at uh, where my job was to create guidance and governance documents for the client, for, for a global client, in order to get them to... Uh, be better. Was this Conde? No. So this was actually when I was at RGA. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
Even though there was a little bit of that at Conde as well. So I, let me stop back to Conde for a minute. So when I was at Conde last, it was actually email because the social media, the term wasn't out yet. Mm. Um, the use of it was not nearly as big, even though Black Planet was crazy. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people always laugh when Yo, I say Shout that. out to Gary for bringing up Black Planet. <laughs> Classic. Classic. I know I was on it. <laughs> but um, we were doing emails and... This was definitely the old guard because you're talking about a publishing company, right? Mm-hmm. Part of what they do is help create these beautifully um, designed ads and such, you know, all these things, these, these, these wonderful creative pictures that just look incredible. It's like, okay, yes, we want to use this. Let's send this out and send it and, and email all our people and we're going to do it like this. Mm. And then I had to come in and be like, so, yeah, this thing looks great. But here's the problem. Most people's emails are, they default to not showing any pictures. So these beautifully written words, these beautiful pictures are not going to be seen by anyone if you build it like this. These one picture emails are not going to work. Hmm. And they hmm. will fight me tooth and nail. No, this house got to be done. This blah, 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 blah. Okay, okay, okay. Do me a favor. Give me 15% of the audience. Let me do a test. I'm going to create an email for you. Because mm. f- in order for me to get in digital, I taught myself how to code, code HTML. Mm-hmm. Let me take what you have. Let me create it either exactly or as close as possible. You know, like if they were using some like weird fonts or whatever. Let me go ahead. Let me draw up a test. Let me test this out. Give me 10 to 15% of your people. Right? Okay, fine. Right? Here's this one. Make sure it's approved. Okay, we send this out to 85%, send this one out to 15%. The one that was sent out to 85% would get a click-through rate of like 2 to 3%. Mm. My version would get 15 to 20. Mm. Why is that? Because they could see the words. Mm. It didn't look like a crazy blank email with a small square with an X on it. That if you see that first because you have another 100 emails to go through. Spam. I ain't got time for this. Not even necessarily spam. I'll come back to it later if I feel like it. Right, Next right. email. Oh, this one. Okay, what does it say? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, wait, there are pictures? Okay, let me click on that. They learned, oh, we have to build these emails differently. The shift happens that way. You know? So when I get to RGA, the global department of the client, they know that they have um, a few issues, but the regions, they want to keep doing their own things. So it's like, okay, let's get all together because you need some sort of uniformity. Yes, you need nuance because the messages or the way you you, um, distribute your messages in the US might be different than the way you need to do it in London or in South America, Mm -hmm. but they still need to look like they're coming from the same company. They can't look like they're just coming from different companies. Right, Because right. you all are the same company. Yeah. So here are the things you do, need to do. Here's what people expect on Facebook. Here's what people expect on Twitter. Here's what people expect on YouTube. You know, here's what people expect, um, expect on these different channels. Here are the people at Global who can help you with these things. Here are some tips on, on things that you should do. Here are some things that work. Here are some things that don't. Here are some guidebooks. Here are some guidelines. Here's governance. This is who you speak to. This is how you escalate things when something happens. You know, just creating all of that made things so much easier because a lot of times it's simply just some education needs to take place 
and you go ahead and say, oh, I didn't even know that. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, I didn't even know that. Or, oh, that's something new. Okay. And then they start getting excited. Like, oh, wait, you can do this? And then you get to the point where you have sometimes like pull back the reins. Like, okay, let's talk to everybody. Wait, slow down, slow down. You know, you still have to do these things. There's still some just regular um, parts of creating a relationship. I understand you're excited. That's Mm -hmm. great. But let's not get excited to the point where now you're going to potentially mess up the relationship. Mm. You know, let's make sure that we're doing the right things so that this relationship can be built. Speaking well, of the relationship, um, you know, in, in that regard, you brought up several social uh, social apps to communicate. Are there, um, in your mind, in your profession, are there, how many different tiers of communication are there to your customer? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you differentiate the loyalist to, I'm just here for, you know, whatever, you know, like I'm just here for the 10% off or what have you. Like how, mm-hmm. how on your end do you differentiate that relationship? Well, it, 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 does, it does have a lot to do with the fact that you have to understand why certain people are there. So the person who just wants the discount or just wants the deal or whatever, you know what? You still need to speak to that person in a certain way or do enough to have that person excited because once they get that, they will still talk about this great thing that, they, that happened if they feel it's a great thing, right? So... They are in a certain space. You have the people who are not quite loyalists yet, but are looking for information. You have to be there to provide information in a way that they will consume it or that they want to consume it, more importantly. Right. right? So if they need like a little bit of entertainment from it, then you do it that way. If they just want cold tech specs, then you give them that. It's all about serving the need. So when you get to the loyalist, you, when you get to a loyalist, you basically have this relationship. You know exactly what they want, and that's your job to serve. In business, part of your job is to serve your customer, right? right? And there's another kind of flip of the kind of paradigm. Businesses are trying to figure out, oh, how do we get these customers to be loyal to us? Because they're worried about the people who just want the deal, right? Mm -hmm. How do we get customers to be loyal to us? Well, you need to understand that because you cannot just control the conversation, you cannot control the communication, it's not about them being loyal to you first. You got to figure out how to be loyal to them. Ah, mm. indeed, indeed. What do you say is your um? Was your was the education you had when you were event producing, VJing, and you know DJing, <clears throat> alongside the education you have, you know, through school and um, actually uh, the hands-on learning? What was the best preparation for you to like? You could firmly say that you know you're in. You're one of the leaders in, um, in strategizing and, and, and branding and marketing. What was the best education for that? Was it working directly with people or was it more like um, the schooling? So the, the kind of more traditional education, like the, the schooling and the reading, mm-hmm. the best part about that in particular was learning the principles uh-huh. because that's where it comes from. Like my favorite what, or one of my favorite marketing resources is the movie Hitch. Hmm. He starts off basic principles. This is so true in marketing. It was crazy when I'm watching this movie. I, I'm being entertained, and I'm understanding it's supposed to be an entertaining movie. But I'm like, all this stuff is marketing. <laughs> Every little bit of it, right? Because the principles that you learn, like the four P's, you know, just the fact that you need to do your research and find out who it is that you're trying to sell to, all of these things. 
do not change. The fact that you need to figure out who you're going to sell to, the fact that you need to create a product that people are going to actually want to buy, creating the best product, having that quality, right? The fact that you need to go ahead and be able to communicate with them and have and have um, a lot of communication that doesn't stop, that doesn't break, okay? The fact that you need to create a relationship, the fact that you need to go ahead and be list and listening for when something goes wrong so that you can fix it. When they think, when, when customers might have an, uh, a better idea on how things can work, that's research right there for you. You know, you should definitely be trying to make it better, but if a, a customer comes and says, hey, what do you think about this? And it's a good idea, you better jump on that thing. Hmm. You know, these are all basic principles that now because of digital technology, because of the internet, because of communication through social channels, we can get all that information quicker. Before we couldn't get that, we just had limitations. We just that line of communication was not as robust as it is now. Right, right, right. right. So the basic principles is what came from the reading and the education at school. The learning about people and culture and figuring out how much culture drives people to what they're going to buy, okay, or what they want to buy. That's what you learn working in music, working in events, working with people. That's the stuff that you have to pay attention to. You know, like people of color love Hennessy, right? Mm-hmm. It's not only because it's a, it's a decent cognac. They're better cognac and we love fine grapes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's not just because it's the best thing out there. Okay? There are, there are better, I mean, there's also better quality Hennessy products as well. Right. But it's because there's a brand. They gave you a feeling. Mm-hmm. They gave you a connection to something. Okay? There's this guy named George Brandt who, when I, when I, um, whenever I go ahead and present about branding, I always use this quote, people don't buy products, they buy brands. Hmm. Okay. That's true. Okay. People That's aren't true. buying Jordans because they're the best shoe. Right. There are plenty of shoes better than that. They buy them because they're Jordans. Hmm. People buy an Air Force Ones because they're Air Force Ones. Hmm. People buy Nike because it's Nike. Right. Okay. You know, that's interesting because I saw a, a meme on Instagram about two or three weeks ago and somebody put up this blue and yellow shoe and it was uh, like four, like a four box collage of the same shoe. And it, it said something about like, um, you know, marketing and, you know, just, uh, I guess, being used to something. I'm forgetting the name. The word escapes me right now. But the same shoe literally had one picture. It had a Nike check. The next picture had a Jordan emblem. And the other picture, it had a, um, a, a Under Armour em- emblem. And the other one was completely blank. And I promise you, the one that had the Jordan and the Nike emblem looked super more appealing to me than the Under Armour and the No Emblem one. And I was just like, wow, like that that kind of conditioning is They put a lot of work into getting your their brand to be like, oh, this is I automatically think I like this. I already automatically find quality in it because the thing is, and you can't just do this if you have no quality. Like, don't get me wrong. As a huge Nike fan myself, Mm -hmm. it's not that the shoes suck and I'm being tricked. No, they're good shoes. They're well designed. They're well made. They may not be the best shoe, but if it comes down to that and something else, mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I'm more likely going to buy the Nike. That's so true. It's like um, I seen a what was it, a meme 
That said, um, um, it showed a coffee cup, a regular coffee cup, and then a regular coffee, then a co- another coffee cup with Starbucks label on it. It's the same coffee, but they're gonna go for the Starbucks. That just shows the, you know, the 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 strength and the the advantages of branding. Like right now, for this millennial generation, you see there's a lot of influencers and there's a lot of different individuals coming out, and they're coming out with their own products. They're creating their own distribution to e-commerce, and they're going out there branding themselves. What are some points or some keys you could give somebody coming up that's an entrepreneur or has a creative that wants to brand themselves and set themselves apart? Mm-hmm. So for anyone looking to brand themselves, whether it's just actually themselves or it's a product or a service that they're looking to sell, there are a lot of similarities, right? One of the big things is to make sure your thing is quality because once you get someone to, once you convince someone to purchase your product, it can't break right away, okay? You can do all the branding. If it breaks right away, that doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. So you do have to have the quality to build up like that level of the credibility or, or whatever. The other thing is the, the, the more emotional aspects of branding are the ones that keep people around, okay? Mm. Those are the ones where the millennial generation actually, they get it to the point where they are speaking on it, okay? We've been talking about millennial marketing for a few years now, right? Mm. And... Between some of my colleagues in the industry, we we joke about it because that's part of what we call adverb marketing because it's all marketing. It's still marketing, you know. Marketing to a millennial is really not different than marketing to a Gen Xer or to a baby boomer or to anyone else. You mean? More like a Gen Zer because what you're doing which, or what you're supposed to be doing is making that connection. You're supposed to be taking your time to get people to understand what your brand believes in, what it stands for. Millennials are holding more of these companies to task on that. Mm. It's like, okay, you have an interesting product. What are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on real life issues? What are your thoughts on what's going on in the world right now? Mm. Because I can't give my money to you if you don't agree with what I feel. Right, but don't you feel that, just to come back just to the the customer end of things, right? Don't you feel that there has been a shift in just the the quality of customer? Because I, I can't really consider myself a brand loyalist, whereas somebody... Uh, 15, 25 years my senior, they live and die by a certain brand. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm really kind of just, you know, looking for the best deal and quality as opposed to this brand is my brand and forever and never uh, this is the way it will be. Like, hasn't there been a shift in the last maybe, I guess, 15, 20 years in the type of customership that you received? I, I don't know if it's really a sh- a shift per se, maybe it is because like but the buying habits yeah. have to be different by and large. See, like, the consumers they're like you're one type of consumer, but there's some like cult followers, cult consumers that are like Supreme. Mm-hmm. Supreme drop a product. Well, I think they do it every Wednesday or Thursday or second week mm-hmm. of the month, and it's sold out. Like you got literally have to stay by the computer to go buy it. And mind you, it's it, it'll be a simple design. You know what I mean? But yep. it's Supreme. Mm-hmm. Same thing we talking about like with Jordans and Jordans well, and Nikes. Well, well, here, here's the thing though. Here's the thing because I I will. I will rebut your statement because it doesn't make sense because there's a lot of people out there that are like you. Like, mm-hmm. I'm looking for a good deal. I'm looking for the best quality. I'm looking for the best product for and my best value. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. However, if there was a company that consistently provided you the best 
the best product or service, the best value, the best deal. If they did this consistently, you would be loyal to that brand because That's they are true. giving you exactly you what you want. You go right back want. to them. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You're, you're just, you, you are one of those people who are in the space where like, okay, this is good enough for now. Mm-hmm. And other people can go ahead and maybe get my business. And most people, even the ones who just like scream for whatever brand it is, most people are actually like that. Okay. Their needs have been fulfilled, which is why they're yelling the name of that brand. Once all of your needs are being fulfilled, you, you will do the same exact thing. Mm, I agree. Businesses are not doing the best job of consistently providing that level of value for their customers. Mm. Mm. They are looking for ways to do that. The thing that they need to do some more is just listen to their customers. Right. But how do you? But how do you di- differentiate those voices? I mean, if you're uh, if you're a, uh, a, a a large legacy brand like say Tide or somebody, right? Like, how do you know which part of the uh, I, I guess the um, the customership to listen to? The people that like Tide with bleach, the people that like original Tide, the people that like Tide with bleach alternative. Like, they're just if if you're if you're a, a, a multifaceted um, brand or multifaceted company, how do you know who to listen to to skew your business to someplace that would lead you to profit as opposed to that would lead you in the red? You know? Right. So so when you have like a large that's product precarious. line like that, yeah, when, once you have a large product line like that, then you know that part of the reason why you are um, offering these alternatives is because th- different people have different needs. So you are actually still serving your customers, right? You have people who need time with bleach, so you take care of them with that product. You have the people who just need the regular tide, so you take care of them, them with that product. You have the people who need time with bleach alternative and take care of them with that product. Your whole product line is part of what your brand is, right? Your brand is still serving the need of the customer. Different customers need different things, and you have to, you, you take all of the feedback you get, both good and bad, and then you go ahead and you make sure that it makes sense. Okay, you're not, one of the things that businesses need to realize, you cannot please 100% of the people. That's impossible. Right. You can, you can conceptually strive to do that, but you will never reach it. So if you're looking to reach that, that's already unrealistic and it's going to damage your business, okay? You're always gonna have some people who are detractors. You have people who just naturally do that and that's all they do. Mm-hmm. When you get a complaint or a piece of bad feedback, you need to go ahead and say, okay, this is what person, this person is saying. Is it credible? Is it a misunderstanding? Is it someone who's just basically trolling? Mm-hmm. You know, you need to go ahead and identify what that piece of bad feedback actually is right. and then react accordingly. Yeah. Right. Right. And as a brand strategist, is that something that you, if say you, let's say a company hires you to come on board or whatnot, are you consulting on everything from social media to events to experiential marketing, or is that is it all cost the board for you? Oh uh, yeah, well it depends on you know just the, the type the, of brand, the type of work or the type of brand, but it's something that, especially with my experience, that I can touch upon all all pieces of it. Right. I don't right. necessarily have to run all pieces of it, but because it's all about the brand, it is it is experiential, right? Mm-hmm. automatically it's communicative automatically you know it's it's the ways to actually connect with people because that's really what you're trying to do 
You're trying to connect with them. You're trying to create this relationship because you're trying to acquire and retain a customer. Right, right, right. right? So you're trying to do these things to make sure that you are doing all that you can to provide the best experience for this person possible. There's sometimes you're going to miss, but you try to do it the best you can at all times. So that includes your communication just through advertising, even in magazines and in print. It it includes how you communicate with people on social channels. It, it, um, It includes the kind of experiences that you provide through different events. It includes whatever shows you're going to end up being on. Even if, you know, you're Coca-Cola, but they haven't had that chance to actually create a relationship, so now you're cake instead of Coke. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So legally, you know, they can't say Coke, so they add like a line to it to make it say cake. People know what that is. So you still want to have that relationship with like, oh, okay, I I understand. You know, consumers, people, they know a lot of stuff, okay? Especially on social, you don't have to trick them into trying to create a relationship. They know why you're there, <laughs> okay? Don't treat them st- like they're stupid, mm-hmm. but don't try to hit them with a hard sell all the time. Mm. They understand. It's just like any other relationship, you know? Mm. We know what you're here for. Okay, cool. Tell us more about your thing. Tell us more about what you have to offer. Answer our questions. Show us the things that, that differentiate you from the others. Mm-hmm. Why should I buy you over the other, the other brand? And if you can continue to show that, provide that information, grow this relationship, mm-hmm. provide that kind of value that they're looking for, that's how you get a loyal customer. Gotcha. So you should approach your customer with more questions than uh, features, I guess, in that. Yeah, or just more communication than features. You know, um, there's another piece of uh, presentation that I usually do. People hate facts. Okay. Why is that? So it's, I say it that way to kind of get people's attention because it's not 100% true. When it comes to a relationship, you don't want all the facts first. You kind of want to go and find them out for yourself, right? So the facts are a secondary thing. They want to ask the questions. If you're in sales, you know you can't tell them everything especially in a country like this, especially in a city like this. Mm-hmm. You know, we're way too cynical. Yeah. So we're looking for, okay, what's, what's the, the catch? What's the catch? We're, right. already, we're already looking there. So if you just give all the facts, like this is the greatest thing, and you hear all the facts, people are like, mm, but why? Why? <laughs> you, have, you have to allow people to do their research. Mm. You have to provide that avenue for people to do their research and be there as a resource yeah. for them, right? Because they're going to also check other places mm-hmm. to make sure what you're saying makes sense, right. is true, right? You have to let them find some of these facts out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? What percentage of the relationship do you believe that is at that point? Do you think that's kind of like a 70-30 thing? Like 70%, you know, what do you into? What do you like to do? What how, how would you use this or where would you hang it up in your house? And 30% is letting them go off and, you know, I guess do that research. Because the fear is always in sales that if I arm this person with all of this information or I ask them all of these correct questions, they're just going to leave and go buy this shit somewhere else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, th- here's the thing. That fear is logical. It's founded. 
but you can't let that fear stop you. There's it's hard to really drum down actual percentages because it's going to be different for for each person. Mm. So you have to really pay attention. It's about it's just like if you meet someone, right? And you're having this conversation where you need the back and forth. That's how the relationship builds because it's a back and forth conversation. Yeah. So you have to kind of gauge, okay, how much does this person want to know? Because you also cannot give them too little because then they'll get bored or they just look somewhere else, right? It's about being there and really just saying, okay, this person has some interest. They've asked these couple of questions. Let me give them this information, maybe just a little bit more. Let me see if I can maybe ask them if they want to be pointed in the direction of some more information. Let me go and kind of make it fun so there's the, just, there's a good rapport that's happening. You know, you have to think about those emotional connections because what you're trying to do is connect with this person regardless. So it's harder than saying 70-30, 50-50. You know, it's you, you, you do have to kind of take each situation as its own but once you find one situation you should be able to identify a similar situation and then you do the same thing mm-hmm. or it was very similar yeah. you know um, when you're doing these things you have to also remember the kind of relationships you're building because people have similarities you know so when you see someone who's like who's like this person if you've dealt with a person like that you know better how to deal with this person. Right, right. Right, so, so you might have a bucket of the people who are 70, 30. You might have a bucket of the people who are 60, 40. You might have a bucket of people who are 10, 90. You know, it can, it can be, um, hit any range. Mm. But it's about while you're doing these things, learning, figuring out how to make it better, optimizing, making it easier mm-hmm. for people, and sharing that information with everyone so that when they get to that point, they know how they to know. deal with the situation. Right. Is, is there th- any such instance of, I guess, with, you know, training your customers or building a customer base, is there any such thing as an inorganic relationship that's just like happenstance? Or is it some, or is the business just something that you're always going to have to massage and prod, like in, in terms of relationship building? Well, I would, I would, I think I would argue that the, the kind of happenstance one is actually more organic than anything else. Hmm. Um, um just because for something to kind of happen that easily, it's almost meant to be. Exactly. That's, you know, that's any, kind of defining organic. Yeah, right? any, anything that's inorganic is when you're trying to force something. Right. You know, you're trying to just create something that actually isn't there. And that's where you tend to go wrong. Right. You know. Um, sorry, what was the second part of the, the question again? All right, so I just, I just went on a, a rant, rant again. <laughs> no, 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 you're you're right on track. No, I was just saying, like, dude, is is there like a um, uh, uh, I guess a a difference in creating like a inorganic relationship as opposed to organic one? Because you can't always rely on certain methods. Like, are are they? You said like the um, inorganic relationships or the hap- would be the happenstance one. But I was talking more so on something that's just not, there's just no basis, period. How do you, how do you navigate those waters? So are we speaking about kind of trying to create something out of nothing? Yeah. Those are where you cut your losses. You basically cut your losses there. And if, if that relationship is meant to be, it will happen through the organic ones that, create, that are created. Okay. Sometimes there's someone that will basically hit like a proverbial wall. They won't want any more information. They won't feel like they're, that your product or service is, is enough for them at that point or whatever. However, 
if you get people in their circle in that network, right? And those people in, in their network in their circle are talking about how great this thing is. It's more likely that that person will turn around and become a customer mm. because you have that that other organic relationship between them and a person. That's the whole basis of having influencers, right? Mm. It's about having someone that you know of who's basically co-signing this thing. So it's like, oh, well, if this person likes it, then maybe I will, or I definitely will. Right. Okay. It's another version of, it's trying to create or trying to build off of word of mouth, which is still the number one form of marketing and advertising. Mm -hmm. Because when you, someone close to you says something is awesome, you already have that trust, you already have that credibility with them, mm -hmm. you're likely to try it. Right. Right. So I've seen you, you, you've, you've ascended, you did everything from, you know, in your early days, um, working with people from event production to music, um, and then going on to hosting, and then you ascended from that into actually uh, working with different agencies and providing your branding and marketing skills there. What drives you as a person? Because it seems like you, you're someone who've adapted through the times when a lot of these corporations didn't want to adjust and uh, adapt to new different business models or whatnot. What kept you re um, reinventing yourself and um, adapting and, um, and um, just going along with culture and being where you're at now? Yeah, it's, it's really just the fact that I'm just interested in what I work in. Mm. You know, I, I was lucky enough, or I am lucky enough, to work in an industry where I feel it's connected to me as a person. So being able to adapt, being able to grow in this is just something that's naturally happening. I'm just watching and saying, oh, this is different. Oh, well, how does this work? So there's, there's a little bit of like an educational part of it from my standpoint and me wanting to go ahead and share that with other people. Right, right. Um, another part that's driving me is seeing the people, especially the people who look like me and my family, right. trying to get into this. And it's like, okay, so how can I help them? Because I don't see myself, I see myself as a creative person, but I don't see myself as the most creative person. Like I found creative ways to do things and creative ways where brands can go ahead and connect with others. But in terms of maybe the more traditional type of creative who's like an, some sort of artist or right. or some sort, sort of writer or anything like that, when I see people like that, I get excited. I'm like, like how did you come up with that? Yeah, I'm going to say, I and, love that. And I'm like, okay, how did you come up with that? Let's talk about it. And how can I, and can I help you get into this? Like, are you interested in doing these things? Right. Because if you're not, then I don't want to beat you over the head with it either. Mm -hmm. But if you are, it's like, okay, so how, how can we make this work? Right, right, right. You know, and that's, those are the two things that are really driving me right now. You know, so it's, it's really like the educational part, which is actually something I'm trying to bring into the agency I work at now. Mm -hmm. And the, the diversity and inclusion part, because that is just so important. It's always been so important yeah. uh, to me. I wanted to I wanted to get into that. Um, traditionally, that sphere isn't um, as as uh, colorful or has a, a tinge. <laughs> I'm trying to say this in the most PC way. You know what I'm saying? Colorful. I can't possibly can't. No. But you know, traditionally, we we've been underrepresented. Mm -hmm. um, 
have have there been any instances where, uh, and especially in the early goings, where you were the only representation? And what, <laughs> what, and what, what, what was that kind of, uh, what was that like? Okay, so I, I will say there's, there may have been few instances where I'm the only one. But there have been plenty um, instances where I've been one of very few. Okay. Um. So where I am right now, um, it's not the largest agency in the world. It's, it's still growing or whatever. There's about 100, and, 100 110 people in the office, in the New York office. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was happily surprised first day I walked in and saw 15, 20 people of color. Okay. 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 So the percentage is not super high or whatever. We can do more. We're working to do more there, right? But coming from RGA where there's 800 people in the New York, in the New York office and there's 40, 50 of us, mm-hmm. that 40, 50, even though it's twice as many as are in the place I'm at now, looks a lot smaller when there's eight times as many people, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where... I. And I know we've all experienced this. You see another person of color, like, oh, <laughs> cousin, let me meet you, cousin. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. it's like, come on, give it a hug. And like, oh. and and that's that's great because you do need that. I mean, even Syracuse, like, yeah. anywhere you are, that's going to happen, right? Yeah. And that's part of the reason why it's so important to me. But on top of that, I would say that we've made significant not enough but significant strides in in DNI as a whole in this industry however it's a problem at the points of power the, the actual decision makers still look a lot the same mm. you know i i know you guys have seen instances of panels on diversity with six white men like <laughs> how how does this yeah. you know there was the, the Dropbox tweet that went out a couple weeks ago, and they got fried. Yeah, I think I've seen that. It's crazy. And I laughed at every single one of it, but I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what diversity looks like, and it doesn't look diverse at all. At all. You know, there was an instance, and I hope Tracy does not kill me for this, but, I mean, we talked about it. Um, a couple of years ago, at her, here are all the black people. They had a panel where it was basically all C-level people from agencies, from like the big agencies and like one like creative director not not even an executive creative director nothing against the guy but right. he was the only guy who was he was an Asian dude right everyone else was white mm. and the picture got out part of the problem was the optics because the way the stage is set up there's a giant sign that says here are all the black people and there's not one black person on the stage, mm. right? So optically, it looked crazy, right? And people tried to run with it. However, the context was left out because the reason that there's a couple of reasons why it looked like that. One, at that time, there were very few, if any, people of color who are CEOs, who are CSOs, who are presidents of the New York office, who are at these levels. Where they make the decisions. So part of that conversation was actually about the fact that it needs to be better. Here are ways that you can get into this industry and grow. And left out the fact that that was the only 
panel discussion that did not have a black person on stage. The keynote had black people. The welcome had black people. The all the other panels had black people. The kind of like talent, um, the the um, there's like a contest showing like your work type thing. Black people, people of color, all in the audience. People of color because there's two floors in this thing. People of color doing portfolio reviews, helping other people of color with their portfolio so they can get jobs, uh-huh. right? So there sometimes is the optical challenge, but part of the problem is people of color are not in these positions of power, and that's part of the, of the issue. That's gotcha. crazy. Like, just, just really quickly, I wanted to ask another question, but before I get to that one, do you think that it's, it's ignorant to, uh, as, a, as a corporation, um, kind of pattern your marketing around the 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 buying habits of people of color since traditionally we are the number one consumers in the world of stuff like is it ignorant to 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 say that you know somebody of this same age range in south dakota is going to have the same i guess uh buying habit or the same um need as somebody of color because aren't you able to like general generationally kind of lump all these people into just to one group because there are a lot of people who aren't of color who celebrate um, black and brown culture and see themselves culturally brown, mm-hmm. you know, like, or, or have a tan mindset, if you will. Mm-hmm. As somebody on the other end of that, do you think it's, it's ignorant to kind of lump them in as well with, with that, uh, I guess, that pot of, of consumer? Well, well, here's the thing. When it comes to consumption, you you have to go ahead and take care, not only, not not 100%, but you also do need to take care of the people who are driving this culture of consumerism, right? Mm. If you see a certain group of people setting all the trends, buying first, getting other, people's to, other people to buy, you see a culture creating this and then other people buying, who are you going to take care of? Hmm. Sure. You're going to take, take care of like your basic power user, right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing that makes sense. It's, it's another way to market, advertise, and promote, right? I mean, look at hip-hop. Look at rap music. Why is it so big now? It's not, it's not as big as it is simply off of the 13% of black people. But it's driven by the thirteen percent of Black people, mm-hmm. and then so other true. cultures go ahead and buy. <laughs> wow! And so you have to go ahead and make sure that you are taking care of those who can help drive what you are selling. Mm-hmm. Because if you miss out on that, even if you sell to a larger audience, it's not going to stick because the culture. Last will switch, right. and then those people who follow the culture right. will move away. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the culture... Sorry, bro. Um, that's the only thing I wanted to touch on, is how powerful the impact our culture now has on branding and marketing. Can you speak a little bit on that, like how, um, how now we kind of have that power in a sense where we, can mani- where we can pretty much influence the way these brands are going, and how should we use that power? Well, I would argue that we've always had the power because if you look at anything that's done, 
is most of the time, if not all the time, mm-hmm. driven by people of color. That's crazy, man. That's a beautiful black thing. people, mm-hmm. often by black women. You know, I feel like that's we, a fact that they don't want to. <laughs> they don't want to admit. Yeah, yeah and and here's the thing: you could not admit it as as much as you want, mm-hmm. and then you won't be successful, Psh, or you won't be as successful as you can be. There you go. So if you don't want to make this more money, that's fine. Someone will. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I feel like people or or corporations like that's that's kind of like the the piece that's missing, right? Like you have to take care of your. You said power users, right? Those are I guess your your first adopters, the people that kind of set the tone for what you're going to experience in the market, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's popular culture to kind of turn your back. At, at least at least popular culture in the, the corporation world to kind of turn your back on this, your power user, which would happen to be people of color. I'm, I'm reminded of Cristal. For years, for like at least 20 years, I mean, I'm not saying that you know, Cristal was is made or make, make or broken by hip hop culture, but for twenty years plus, people Cristal was the beverage of choice. When Hov people were selling cocaine and crack on the streets just so they could go to a club and pop a three four hundred dollar bottle of Cristal, and then for Cristal to turn around and be like, "We absolutely detest the idea of people of color enjoying our beverage." It's kind of like. Dang, and then but you also see other um, corporations do that as well. You know right. what I mean? But let me ask this question: What happens to those brands when they do that? They fall off. There you have it. <laughs> you know, they go ahead. They make that statement. Right. Sales tank. Absolutely. Then they come up with the apology. Yeah, and most and a lot of those times, it doesn't come back. It's no longer effective. You know. Mm-hmm. Ten thousand percent. Whatever you do as a brand, whether you stand be, whether you stand with someone or you say, I don't want these people buying my product, you better be able to stand your ground. They made a, a rash decision to say, oh, we completely detest this. Oh, okay. You don't like it? Cool. No more of you. Literally, no more of you. Mm. Now, as you mentioned, it didn't completely break them necessarily. But their sales are not the same. Mm. So even if they're still around and maybe they're happy with the numbers that they're getting, fine, whatever. They clipped the amount of success that they could have. And that is usually not the smart business decision. Usually when you're in business, you're trying to make as much as possible. So if you have someone who adopts what you're you have a group of consumers who adopt your product most of the time unless for whatever reason you don't want these people buying your product and that's my PC version of of saying that Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, unless you really don't want them buying your product you figure out a way to say wow this is great how can we make this work even more Mm -hmm. Unless you really don't want that money. If you really don't want that money, okay, say so I buy it. Right. So when you get that apology, you're like, oh. Really? So, okay. okay. So this wasn't just a thing where you actually didn't want our money. Oh, okay. Right. I know what this is. Yeah. And I'm still not going to buy you. Mm. That's real. You know, so, so those companies want to do that? Fine. Fine. 
just, the same just, way. just catch these hits on your sales. Mm-hmm. And, and when, when people ask why your sales not that good, you know what to tell them. Are yeah. there any, uh, in your experience again too, are there any, um, you know, I guess verticals that didn't have to rely on the cultural aspect? <laughs> nope. Wow. Not at all? Nope. Like, Culture drives everything. Hmm. It drives all the decisions. You can't do anything without the culture that is you driving whatever it is. Mm. You can't. You know, and it, it's so it's completely totally impossible. Like to maximize your success, it's absolutely it's, it's absolutely impossible. Mm. You may find niches where it will work or whatever, but in order to maximize your success. It's impossible to do without the culture that is driving the decisions people make. Mm-hmm. That culture is driving everything. It drives the arts. It drives products. It drives services. That and that, that leads me to like my um my last question too is how do people the ones who are who are let's say the the, the forerunners in the uh, in culture the ones who are coming out with the content and the products and the art that's that's causing these waves and ripples in culture how do they tap into that power because it seems like a lot of outside third parties come in tap into the power of culture and be able to maximize their profits how do the ones who are creating it tap into it create a business model around it and be able to um you know make a living off it because they're actually you know the creators yeah well once again it comes back comes down to distribution so the distribution channels are more available, but at the same time, it's still not complete even ground, right? If you're working in fashion, you might still be making these great products that you have to do, you have to make by hand. Or you might be able to order a couple hundred um, units of your product, as opposed to a larger company that can order 10,000, right? It's about setting the expectations for your customer base and then growing from there so that you can grow into a company that can provide your product or your service at larger amounts and scale. Scale does take time, especially if you don't have the same distribution channels, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to go through a larger brand now. So that's an advantage. You still have to have the money to press up enough or to create enough right and that does take time you have to go ahead and take that money and just reinvest and reinvest and reinvest Mm -hmm. and then have everything grow that way or come up with the greatest plan where you can say okay for x amount of years i'm going to partner with this company and then i have an out clause when I have enough to do this mm-hmm. or I have a clause where we sell, spend this much I get more money because we're selling or you know whatever it is you know scale can be hard especially if you don't have that upfront if you don't have the cash flow that's where it can get kind of hard mm-hmm. but it's, it's about setting expectations for your customers and also setting expectations for yourself not everyone necessarily wants to be a millionaire if you if your interest is not necessarily becoming a millionaire but being able to go ahead and make a, a comfortable living for yourself, understand what that number is, and then figure out, okay, how many units of what it is do I have that I'm selling mm. do I need to go ahead and sell? Right. 
if it's fashion, how many shirts or skirts or bags or whatever it may be do I need to sell to hit this number? Even if it's podcasting, how many premium shows do I have to do to create this package where I'm selling premium uh, memberships for X amount? How many of those memberships do I need? Man, hold on, Cam State. Don't give them away. Don't, don't give all those away. <laughs> Working on that right now. You know, you know, just like those types of things. Yeah, yeah. Figure out what your what your number, like past your break-even number. I mean, in business, yeah, you need to know your break-even number. But understand what the number is that you want to make. Right. And then you work towards that mm. and scaling to that. And then figuring right. out if you want to scale even further. Right. But it's 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 understanding what you what you want out of this. Do I want to be a millionaire or a billionaire? Then you're gonna to have to put in a whole lot of work because the scale to get to that point right. is going to be kind of crazy. Right. If you want to make one hundred fifty two hundred thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. the scale is a lot lower, right. right? And you have to figure out how to create whatever it is, whether it's a product, whether it's a service or content, mm. and fulfill that to reach those goals. Great, so great key. What is uh, brand our key and brand chat? Okay, so Brand Chat is a weekly chat about branding, which I happen to be a moderator of. It's um, a Twitter chat that I just jumped into it because it had the word brand in it. And I was like, okay, that's, that's my whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the founder, creator of that, um, she invited me to be a moderator of it. Nice. And it's uh, great. So from that, the idea of Brand Archie came from. Mm-hmm. Um, Brand Chat has scheduled chats and questions four times a month. There's a couple of months, you know, just because count- how the calendar falls, where you have that, that fifth Wednesday. And the first time that happened, I was still sort of new and I didn't realize that, and neither did the other people who were in the chat, because it's like a really dynamic community there. Mm-hmm. We, didn't un- we didn't realize that because there was no set questions, mm-hmm. that there was no official chat. So we end up just being in there, just talking about the things that were happening that week in branding and, and digital marketing and regular marketing. And um, this woman named Parissa said, this is just like brandarchy playing off of anarchy. Uh, and I was like, that is genius. <laughs> She's like, you can have it. There goes the brand Thank you. I was like, thank you. <laughs> I'll take and I, I kind of just took it and ran with it because mm-hmm. the way that I looked at branding for as long as I can remember, seems to be a lot more anarchistic than the regular businesses that go ahead and do their branding. You know, very buttoned up, very traditional, very much about the logo and your look and your tone and your voice, which are parts of a brand, definitely. But it's not the brand. The definitions that are out there of branding are so different than each other, much less the, than my definition of branding. Mm-hmm. So it's like I look at it in a different way, or it seems that I look at it in a different way. And then there's also just this dynamic moving part of it because that's how the world is, mm-hmm. where it is sort of a little bit like anarchy. So right. just a play on words and the fact that this is part of my personal brand. This is part of the way I look at things. Mm. And Brand Key officially became the fifth Wednesday chat in Brand Chat. Country. That's dope. What's, what is your definition of branding? So there, there are like 12, 13 points to it. 
which we can get into another day. But it's right. it's about the fact that it's at the intersection of these these tangible parts of of branding, which like your your messaging and your logo and and what you see, and then these intangible feelings, these emotional parts. Your brand fits in the intersection of the the intellectual and emotional parts of what a brand needs to be because it is about that connection it is about making that relationship it is about the fact that people do not buy products they buy brands so it's all based off of that it's all based off of getting people to see to uh, getting your company to be top of mind it's all about creating creating advocates it's all about how you can create influence and how people can influence your brand it's all about these personal aspects that come to your brand. It's about what you believe in. It's about what you stand for. It's about your product. It's about what you have to offer. It's about the value. It's about all these different things because you cannot have a brand without all of them. You cannot have a brand that works without all of these things. Got you. Stoke. Yo, that's fire. (laughs) I feel like I learned so my brain is full right now. Absolutely, man. Thanks again for the, the great Guys, social media marketing branding specialist Gary Nix for joining us this season. Absolutely. We really yeah, appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. And I'm definitely looking forward to where can we find you on um, social, media, social media, the internet? Okay, well, the easiest place to find me realistically is on Twitter because I'm on there 258. Right, right. Um, <laughs> is that so, the best communication tool you feel it is for a brand or any personal brand? It's a great tool. It depends on what you have to offer, whether or not it's the greatest, but it is a great tool. Okay. So my handle is Mr. McFly, M-R underscore M-C-F-L-Y. I definitely follow you. That's the easiest way to find me, to reach out to me. Mm -hmm. I'll always hit you back up and say hi and talk stuff and have fun and share good information and all that good stuff. That's what it is, man. It's a... um just even sharing this information. He does this through his social media a lot. I, f- I follow him, trust me. So we definitely appreciate that. And um, like always, um, comment, review. Let us know how you feel. Rate this podcast um, in the podcast app. And uh, yeah, stay driven. Stay driven, y'all.